Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Born on This Day. How you doing, Bill? I'm good, Amanda. How are you? I'm wonderful. Um, that was Bill Anchenu. All right, close enough. <laughs> I try really hard. Bill Anchenu. <laughs> for years, folks. Don't worry. No one knows my name. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Amanda Barker, by the way. Um, and Our day, this, maybe. Bar- Listen, I answer to ba- Baker more than you can ever imagine oh, at every airport, and Parker a lot too, but more mm-hmm. Baker. Um, in any event, today is December the 18th, and do you know what day it is today? I have a feeling you and someone who looks like you is going to tell me. That's right, Bill, because today is National Twin Day. Oh, interesting. So all the twins of the world uh, go out and uh, send a little love to your Tim. Whether you're fraternal, identical, you two are, uh, are, are deserve to be celebrated. I remember once I was in Montreal um, performing at the Just for Last Festival ooh, seven years ago. And there was a parade and I was like, what is this parade for? And then I saw the word uh, les jumeaux, which means twins. And I was like... Jumeau, what does that mean? What does it mean? And then I looked and I went, right, twins. And it was a parade of twins. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Also right? where we get the word Gemini. Same, yes, same right. Yeah. Uh, right downtown Montreal, just mm-hmm. twins amazing. aplenty. Um, do you have any twin friends? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, not, nobody close because I think it's immoral. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I don't think I know anyone <laughs> particularly close who are twins. And our first celebrant uh, is definitely somebody who contributed to that. But before we get there, a Sagittarius born on December 18th is a go-getter. Good for you, December 18th babies. You're never aggressive or abrasive in your dealings with others. You have an open, generous nature and a sharp sense of humor. Uh, When they are dedicated to a concept, they will fight tirelessly to protect and support it. Well, Amanda, he may not have impressed Shania Twain much, but the world was taken with Brad Pitt after his star-making role as the sexy drifter in Thelma and Louise, which catapulted him to fame, quickly taking him to leading roles in the Legends of, in Legends of the Fall and Interview with the Vampire, and earning his first Oscar nomination for 12 Monkeys. He also starred in Fight Club, Ocean's Eleven, Troy, and The Tree of Life, earning further nominations for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Moneyball, and last year won Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Through his production company, Plan B, he has produced the Best Picture winners 12 Years a Slave, for which he received a producing Oscar, Moonlight, and hit the films Okja, If Beale Street Could Talk, and the series The OA. He was born on this day in Shawnee, Oklahoma, in 1963. But he grew up somewhere else. I think he grew up in Montana or something. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere more north. Um, Are you a Brad... uh, Ohio, I think. I think he grew up in Ohio. Maybe, yeah. Are you... uh... Are you a Brad Pitt fan? I admire him a great deal um, because he's gotten a lot done. He's someone who um, I admire people who get that first flame light of fame and see it as an opportunity rather as an excuse to, I don't know, party hard or uh, coast on their fame. You know, not that I judge mm-hmm. that that harshly, but I really mm-hmm. admire the people who are like, all right, now I'm going to get all these other films made, even though they have nothing to do with me. And, um, you know, he's always striving for more. I think he has limits as an actor. Sometimes he's so potent and wonderful and so uh, such a star. Other times he fizzles and is terrible. Um, but uh, overall, I think he's a cool guy. I get that he's a very good looking guy. I get that he's in very fine physical shape. He's never really done it for me. Right. Um, but, you know, I get it. I, I, I think he's an I, I would be pleased to meet him and shake his hand. 
Uh, I feel like he is kind of like a Julia Roberts. I feel like he's like the male Julia Roberts, like a cool person who's probably a really cool person. I feel like they play a lot of the same role. Sure. Uh, a lot I mean, of the time. That's being a movie star, though. No, not for Meryl. <laughs> Meryl's not a movie star, though. Uh, she is popular enough, but she is an actress, um, which is different. I don't see it as different, but I mean, you're the expert on this topic, not, not myself. <laughs> no, I mean, this is all in the eye of the beholder. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but you are wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and also Meryl's, Meryl's appeal was never on a persona. It always was on the fact that she does all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. Not you're right. She sold herself on, but you know, you're totally She right. also was young, but not, well, no, no that I, you could argue that they were. Sure. That she was as young. I, I, She always came across at least as somebody in her mid-20s, even, you know, right. whereas Julie Roberts was, what, 17 when she was in Mystic Pizza or whatever? And uh, yeah. yeah, Brad Pitt was probably in his early 20s, but still there was a sort of youthful mm-hmm. excitement about them that I don't think she, you know, she's a generation before anyway. But yeah. um, anyway... Um, I think he would be a fun dude, though. I think he sounds like he's a really yeah, uh, and he sounds like strong. I mean, we've learned enough to know that he has his personal demons as well. That I think he reserves for the people closest to him. Anyone I know who's ever worked with him or met him or anything, they just always talk about this lovely guy, um, right? Who knows his business? You know, like he knows how to how to be gracious to fans and, and yes. show up on time, and you know, like he yes. knows his job, and I, I admire that in people a lot. He, um, I don't know if you watch uh, the Property Brothers and their and their millions of shows and their empires, mm-hmm. who also seem like nice guys. But um, there's one uh, I saw fairly recently with it's it's Brad Pitt and he gifts um, a house in the backyard, like a studio, to his makeup artist, who's yeah. been his makeup artist for you know thirty years or whatever. And uh, they met at Legend Lawn Legends of the Fall, and she, and he will like just if he's in that area of town, he'll just let himself in and sleep on her couch That's and stuff. Amazing. Like they well, have listen, that. The one person in the world that Brad Pitt should be nice to is his makeup artist because he has been a chain smoker since he was about four years old. Right. And the man, and he's a fair haired guy too, so he has lines on his face that listen, go the way of the dodo by the time. Uh, you you see him on screen. If there's one thing, the most surprising thing to me about Hollywood is that they are all all chain smokers. Yeah, each and every one of them. I, every famous person I've ever worked with, even the ones that you're like, well, not them. Nope, they're all chain smokers. Yeah, it's an appetite suppressant. And also, you know, a good friend of mine told me this fascinating theory about how she thinks more women smoke than men do because it's a great way to swallow your rage. And I would not be surprised if in, with actors in general, male or female and everything else, that um, it's a great way to swallow your rage because it, it is it's a nerve wracking, um, as you know, a nerve wracking. It's also a filler. You you yeah. are constantly being given 10 minutes. It's never enough time. You cannot start a project on set and yet you're sitting idle for most of it. That's but right. it's not like you can't do now. Phones have taken that, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you have just time enough to have a smoke and a coffee, yeah. just time enough to send a text. You never you can't sit there and write a screenplay. Or read a novel. You know, if you're in Toronto, it's the only way to meet strangers is to smoke. So well, you got to do it. That's part of it, too. I was yeah. part of the, the cast that I met Marco in. We were the oddballs because we neither one of us smoked, but the vast majority did. And that was how you got the director's ear. Yep. You know, absolutely. I have to cough. (coughs) Well, speaking of smoking, (coughs) excuse me. I'm just going to have a little water here because we have a powerhouse coming up. You have a long, I I want, 
I want to do him justice. So another powerhouse player on today's birthday list, Steven Spielberg, might be the most successful director of all time following his feature debut, The Sugarland Express, with the 1975 blockbuster defining horror film Jaws, which became the first movie to make more than $100 million in ticket sales. He had similar success with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, less so with 1941, then in the 80s became the very definition of Hollywood magic, rolling out the successes of Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, which became the most successful film of all time, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune. He turned to non-special effects dramas. I always think it's interesting that he was the one behind pretty much the color purple. I mean, in terms of getting it made anyway, the color purple, always interesting to me that he did that and good for him, won him the Director's Guild Award, though it failed to earn him an Oscar nomination. And he spent the remainder of his career balancing fantasy films with the serious ones, including Empire of the Sun. I also enjoyed that. Always Hook. Right. Hook is him. Jurassic Park, which actually beat E.T. at the Worldwide Box Office. His 1993 film Schindler's List won him two Oscars, both for producing and directing. And it's still on the AFI's top 10 American films of all time list. Saving Private Ryan earned him a second Best Director Oscar, and he has since had success with Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, War Horse, Lincoln, and Bridge of Spies, just to name a few. His next project, a remake of West Side Story that frankly nobody needs is due out next year and he was born on this day in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1946. I didn't realize he was doing West Side Story. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Nobody needs it. No one I needs guess. it. And if I go see it and I'm like, "Oh my god, I totally needed this." I will admit it and I will be happy to say that I'm wrong, but I find it very hard to believe. I think we all just need to see the 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 movie <laughs> like let's all just see it again well i'm not even a huge fan of that movie but if there's one thing i do love about it is the 1961 color film stock um mm-hmm. and just the look mm-hmm. of it and so it's like i don't want to see it done in modern sharp uh high def do you know what i mean yeah with yeah. a bunch of very very modern young people who have clearly been made up to look like, like underprivileged people from the 60s like selena gomez like who's in it sure I people who you can tell have been washing their hair with evian water for the last 20 years basically. i mean not that natalie would <laughs> had any business playing a puerto rican but anyway no that's true <laughs> that's very true but the rest of them all blended in pretty well even though even the ethnic people in that movie are actually like painted darker all of them yeah. they're they're italian and greek yeah natalie wood didn't even have any business being in a musical but that's a whole other well that's a whole other story <laughs> and i like natalie wood i actually really do like her but oh, um, i love her but it's the it's yeah. that, that role is a blank for me and it wasn't even something she enjoyed doing or really wanted to do oh so, i didn't realize that yeah, yeah. oh that's it was interesting. A, i mean the studio's like you're not going to make this movie unless you put a movie star in at least one major role right right, so right. everybody else is either from the play or from that world. And um, so the only way, you know, I'm sure you know this when it comes to risky, big, risky, expensive projects, it's like, you have to give us this one thing if you want to have everything else your way. Yeah, totally. Totally. Especially in fifties and sixties musical adaptations, it usually took the form of uh, if you want the whole Broadway cast, fine. You, you have to make one exception and that happened a lot. And it's always going to be the lead. Yeah, for One sure. Of the leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, Re, I, I, that said, I love Rita Moreno in it. Oh yeah, me God. too. Although she's dubbed yeah. as well. Is most, she? Yeah, most of her singing is dubbed in that movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Even though she can sing, but yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. 
Well, someone who uh, I don't think can sing, Amanda. His cold blue eyes and rough skin have often made Ray Liotta uh, be cast as tough guys and psychopaths. His first acclaimed performance as Melanie Griffith's out-of-control boyfriend in Jonathan Demme's Something Wild, for which he received a Golden Globe nomination. In 1990, he starred in Goodfellas, which is still one of Martin Scorsese's most beloved films, and played the bad guy in the 1992 thriller Unlawful Entry. But good guy roles haven't eluded him either, including as Shoeless Joe in Field of Dreams, and as the father trying to navigate racial oppression in the South in the heartwarming family film Karina Karina. Later films include Copland, Turbulence, Identity, and Hannibal. He won an Emmy as a guest on ER, and most recently he co-starred with Jennifer Lopez on Shades of Blue, and made appearances on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Young Sheldon. He was born on this day in Newark, New Jersey in 1954. Well, Katie Holmes appeared in the Ang Lee film The Ice Storm, just a year shy of the show that made her a household name, playing Joey Potter on the very popular teen drama series Dawson's Creek for six seasons. She improved on her fame in that show with roles in the films Go, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, The Wonder Boys, and The Gift, then starred in Pieces of April and First Daughter, and later appeared as Rachel Dawes in the first of Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. Maggie Gyllenhaal took over that role in the film sequel because by that point Holmes had entered her highly publicized couch jump inspiring marriage to one Mr. Tom Cruise during which she scaled down her film career. Around the time of their divorce in 2012 she starred as the first lady on the miniseries The Kennedys. Oh she was awful in that. <laughs> later later appearing in The Woman in Gold, Ray Donovan and Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky. She was born on this day in Toledo, Ohio in 1978. That was all was shot here right? The Kennedys? Yeah, 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 it was all in my, um, Yeah, one of my acting teachers was in it. Oh, it's 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 abysmal. It's really yeah. really bad. That's a shame. Um, it, it, listen, I love Canada. This is my home, my chosen home. But if there's one thing that I know that Canadians cannot do, it's a Massachusetts accent. Don't even try. <laughs> they cannot do it. Please don't try. What are you talking about, Amanda? Case in point. <laughs> Um, Katie Holmes was a model too. I remember. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who it was, but, uh, someone I knew back, uh, when I was living with a bunch of Ryerson theater people, um, said that they had done some modeling something and that Katie Holmes was like the, the, the one that had done, like she spoke at this, um, this convention of like join this agency. It was kind of, I want to say like a scam agency or like a modeling, whatever. And so they had her speak and she had been discovered by this agency. And she's like, now I'm going to be on this new show called Dawson's Creek. And of course, yeah. Yeah. And the, the things people would just, are just dying to know about that highly secret marriage of hers. Oh my God. I mean, I'm, I guarantee you that there is a, uh, post-divorce financial situation that prevents her from ever being able to say a word about it but a hundred percent and more power to her i don't criticize her for it i hope it's yeah. lucrative and uh, lasts forever but well how many actresses came out after they were engaged or got married and said like he basically shopped around like his people basically yeah 
like went to like 10 actresses yeah. and were like, Tom would like to meet with you. We think yeah. you're a suitable match kind of thing. And she was the one that was like, yeah, okay. And she, <laughs> she like went for it and was like all the money and fame in the world. Oh, I have to have a child in silence. Yeah. Cool. 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 Well, um, you know, and maybe she also loved him, you know, who knows? Or maybe she felt an affinity to him in some way. I mean, I think know. any, any little girl who marries the movie star that was on their, their bedroom wall will love them in a yeah. certain way, True. you True. know? Anyway, I don't know. I think he's a robot. But anyway, someone who's probably not a robot, Amanda, is Casper Van Dien, whose shot at stardom was brief but potent. People still love talking about Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, in which he starred in 1997. He had previously appeared on Beverly Hills 90210 and One Life to Live and followed Starship by playing Tarzan and appeared in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. More recently, he was on All American, the films All About the Money and Alita Battle Angel, and his next show, Stripped, is in post-production. He was born on this day in Milton, Florida in 1968. Jason Manzukas is one of the hosts of the very popular How Did This Get Made podcast, a UCB alumnus who has appeared with his comedy colleagues on Kroll Show and The League, while also playing roles on Enlightened the Good Place, Brooklyn Line 9, and the films The House and John Wick 3. Uh, he was born on this day in Nahant, Massachusetts in 1972. Who was he in The Good Place? I haven't watched it enough to remember him on it, but you would never forget him if you saw him. Jason Manzukas is unmistakable. Usually plays, uh, he's Greek, but he usually plays Middle Eastern guys because he's very dark and mm. uh, is one of the funniest people on the planet. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. And uh, I think he's uh, kind of sexy too. Yeah, Jason. I'm looking him up. Yeah, Man. the hand is the. Um, it's a little. Oh island. yeah. Oh, he's Greek. Yeah. I did Greek. not know yeah. that. Yeah, he's always been I mean, like Iranian or. Oh Korean. yeah, I would not have known that. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. I do remember him from the Good Place, but um. And a Boston it, Greek, and we know there's millions of those. Oh my God. Yeah. Baka Paria Five. <laughs> Baka Paria Five. So yeah, no, isn't isn't where he's from? Isn't that like an island or something? Is I believe that's what he was saying. I don't know it actually. No, okay. huh? let me look it up. Um, let's find uh, out. Yeah, I think that's what he said. It's like a suburb of Boston, but it's like on an island. Well, while it's you look an, that up, it's Essex. Okay, hang on. Yes, continue on, and I'll I'll let you know. All right, Jeff Kober is best known for his role as Winslow on China Beach, but he also starred on seven episodes of Marco's favorite show falcon crest and <laughs> appeared in the films the first power which i remember watching when i was like 12 and alien nation more recently he was in leave no trace and episodes of ncis los angeles and general hospital he was born on this day in billings montana in 1953 okay this just in um so nahant is like off of swamp scott like it's near swamp scott which okay. is just south of marblehead so like it's like like salem like it's it's um you know it's like Saugus, it's it's up there. It's it's north of Boston anyway. Right, right. Um, but I don't. I've never heard of it, which is rare. Um, I can't even tell you how shocked I am that there's a part of Massachusetts you've never heard of. Yeah, I mean, I know Swampscott, but um, I'm from the. I mean, this Beverly is Ginsburg is from Swampscott, Amanda. Oh, <laughs> this is north of Boston, and I'm I was from South. Um, yeah. like he's as north as Trashy I was South, w. I guess. <laughs> it's south, which is not selfie ps that's that's a little bit different but that's anyway. something different after two years 
on Australian television. Rachel Griffiths scored her first major role in the 1994 hit Muriel's Wedding, which took over the world the following year. It sure did. During shooting, Griffiths confided to veteran co-star Bill Hunter that she was terrified that the director would realize at some point that she actually couldn't act. Hunter reassured her, saying that he had been getting away with not being able to act for years. Don't I know it? I know mm. the, the feeling. We mm. all know the feeling. We all know the feeling. The film's success brought her to Hollywood, where she was reunited with director P.J. Hogan for My Best Friend's Wedding, starred in My Son, The Fanatic, and earned an Oscar nomination for her role as Hilary Dupre in the 1998 film Hilary and Jackie. In 2001, she was cast on the HBO series Six Feet Under, for which she won a Golden Globe and was nominated for two Emmys, following it with her role on Brothers and Sisters as Aunt Ellie in Saving Mr. Banks and on the miniseries When We Rise. In 2016, Bill stood behind her at the... (laughs) Why don't you tell us about this? I was at the Art Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne. I had just been next door to the Museum of the Moving Image in Melbourne, where they had a Muriel's Wedding section, and I took photos because the reason I was in Australia was for my friend's wedding, but it was also because of how much I love Muriel's Wedding, which is like one of my Mm -hmm. all-time favorite movies. And then I Mm -hmm. went to the Art Gallery next door to see the exhibit there, and who should walk in is the star of Muriel's Wedding, Rachel Griffiths, and got behind me in line. Well, the other star of Muriel's Wedding. Yes, that's so crazy. Yeah. That's uh, I recognized her right away. And you didn't say anything to her. I didn't say anything to her because partly because I'm always terrified that if they're not nice, um, it'll ruin them for me. Uh, I, I, despite being a 12-year-old girl on the inside, I am a big, tall guy. (laughs) And I elicit a different response from celebrities than my, my adorable... Uh, diminutive female friends do who are always telling me their stories about meeting famous people and getting their photos and stuff. Um, I have to remember that I, I I present a different uh, aspect. And so you also don't know how that's going to go across. Plus um, she was there with her kid to enjoy an afternoon at the museum. Yes. It just, I like to think that I'm good at reading a room and um, there wasn't enough telling me that it was a good idea to do it. However, we were waiting in line and I was three seconds away from just turning around and saying, look at this photo I just took of you at the museum next door. But then the woman called me to buy my ticket and I was like, you know what? It's just not going to happen. And it was fine. I always feel that way when I'm around celebrities, even ones I love. I, I always feel like the read the room thing, I think, is a great way to put it because I always feel like, you know what? You're just here to live your life. Yeah. We're all just living our lives. You don't need. That said, you... I've met famous people in clubs and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a club. This is where people come to socialize. You're standing in yeah. the middle of a dance floor in a club. I will talk to you. I won't annoy you. or Well, at least I don't think I will. But, uh, you know, that's different than walking up to someone when they're having dinner at a restaurant or something like that. It is. It absolutely is. So, Well, anyway, um, would I go up to this person? Probably not. Um Okay, first off, have you seen, <laughs> have you been following uh, Dionne Warwick at all on tr- Twitter? Of course, yeah, of course. Okay, so she's amazing on Twitter. So on SNL, they did a great, uh, I can't I think of the that. actress's name. Yes. Uh, the Dionne Warwick show was fantastic. So in which this next person was called William Eyelash, which made me laugh a lot. Um, her name is not William Eyelash. It is oh, Billy. Oh, you didn't say when Rachel was born, though. You know. Oh, okay. Uh well, William Eyelash, also known as <laughs> Billie Eilish, uh, uploaded her song Ocean Eyes to SoundCloud. Okay, I'm just going to say it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm too old and I don't get it. With Billie uh, Eilish? 
Yeah, more on that in a moment. I'm completely at sea as well, but you go on. Okay. Uh, Uploaded her song Ocean Eyes to SoundCloud. It played on my Spotify a whole lot, but I didn't realize it was some 14-year-old wonderkin. Uh, It was just a song that would come up on my Spotify, and it was soon released by a proper record label, releasing her debut EP, Don't Smile at Me, in 2017. Her first album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?, debuted at the top of the Billboard 200 in 2019, hitting number one in the States and in the UK, containing her hits When the Party's Over, Bury a Friend, Wish You Were Gay, Zanny, and Bad Guy, which became her first number one hit in the US. Oh, over Ocean Eyes, really. Uh, This year, she released the theme song from the delayed new James Bond film, No Time to Die. She's won five Grammys, two uh, American uh, music, is that that? AMAs? Yep. Holds two Guinness World Records. She's the youngest person and second person ever to win the four main Grammy categories. Best New Artist, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Album of the Year, all in the same year. I mean, it was a little ridiculous. Uh, Anyway, she was born on this day in Los Angeles in 2001. Um, yeah, I don't know. It shouldn't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I leave her to the people who love her. Yeah. I mean, people support her. My thing is I'm very over the wrecked little girl indie voice in general. Now, mind you, she started when she was 14. So she had a, she had a legit claim to it. But, um, if the voice ever taught us anything in its last 10 years, it's that everybody who sang in an affected baby girl wrecked voice was like, so unique quote unquote and different quote unquote. And um, I just, uh, you know, I run a lot of auditions and every now and then we'll run one. I do theater auditions, which is a different beast. But when we do auditions where it's like girl with a guitar or something, I can't tell you the number of people that come in and they sound like me and then they get behind the mic and it says voice. And I, and it's just the trend of how to make your voice sound. You know, um, but I don't have uh, much patience for it. (laughs) Um, It's Ego Nuoden who did uh, the Dionne Warwick imitation. She is. The voice was so spot on. I loved it so much. So spot on. And, you know, cute little Timothy Chalamet did uh, as good a job as he could. You know, he's he's a he's a super talented, sincere, sweet kid. Not funny. And it's okay because he just seemed to be having a good time just showing up and doing everything they asked him to do. And then when, um, uh, what's her name, Chloe Feynman does her Timothy Chalamet impersonation, yeah, I lose it every time I see that. I love the way she imitates, the way he laughs in particular. It's so funny. All right. Speaking of young singers, uh, back to William Eilish, uh, Amanda, <laughs> Christina Aguilera was the singing sensation of the early aughts. And like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake, she started out as a cast member of the Mickey Mouse Club, though mm-hmm. she joined the show two years later than the rest. Her self-titled debut album, released in 1999, reached number one in the U.S. and spawned three U.S. number one singles, Genie in a Bottle, What a Girl Wants, and Come On Over Baby, All I Want Is You. She assumed more artistic control of her second album, Stripped, which included the hits Dirty and I am beautiful no matter what they say. Words can bring me down. But we can try. (laughs) In time, we will. In 2010, she starred in the film Burlesque and has put out a total of eight albums, winning five Grammys and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. From 2011 to 2016, she was a coach on six seasons of the singing competition series, The Voice. She was born on this day in Staten Island, New York in 1980. And um, I got to say, I like her. I've never been someone who's like been completely devoted to listening to her, but I like Christina. Mm. 
I like her too. I love that when she started taking control, that's when she went, uh, as Kathy Griffin said, full slut. And uh, I, I, uh, I think she just is who she is. She she got pipes yeah. for days, and pipes for uh, days. and then ten years later was like, you know what? I'm gonna eat cookies now, and got a little plump, and it looked yeah. nice on her. Yeah, I yeah. think I, I think I like her actually because she she always felt like she was her own person yep. you know she just was what she was you like it or you don't and she felt I, a lot less manufactured than others of her generation and ill yeah. and i don't even say that as criticism of them because i get that it's a big business that swallows yeah. you whole but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that was the impression she always gave me absolutely well Stone Cold Steve Austin is an American actor, producer, television host, and retired professional wrestler. Originally stunning Steve Austin when he still had long hair, he began fighting in world championship wrestling in the early 90s before taking on the brash, vulgar, beer-drinking, anti-hero personality who routinely defied the establishment and his boss, WWE Chairman Vince McMahon. He held 19 championships throughout his wrestling career, a six-time World uh, WWF World Heavyweight Championship, a two-time Intercontinental Champion, and a four-time WWF Tag Team Champion making him the fifth Triple Crown champion in WWE history. After appearing in the documentary Beyond the Mat in 1999, he took on acting, appearing in The the Longest Yard, The Expendables, and Grown Ups 2. He was born on this day in Austin, Texas in 1964. I don't know any of the words you just said, Amanda. (laughs) T.K. Carter was a stand-up comedian who began performing at the age of 12, then got interested in acting after appearing in his high school's production of The Odd Couple. In the late 70s, he appeared on episodes of Good Times and The Waltons, starred in the films The Hollywood Nights and The Thing, later starred on Punky Brewster and Good Morning Miss Bliss, the show that eventually led to Saved by the Bell. He's still working, appearing in The Way Back this year, and was born on this day in New York City in 1956. Keith Richards is best known as the co-founder, guitarist, secondary vocalist, and co-principal songwriter of the Rolling Stones. Rolling Stone magazine called Richards the creator of rock's greatest single body of riffs on guitar. They ranked him fourth on its list of 100 best guitarists in 2011 and lists 14 songs that Richards wrote with Rolling Stones lead vocalist Mick Jagger on its Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. In the recording studio, Richards sometimes plays all of the guitar parts notably on the songs paint it black such a great song ruby tuesday sympathy for the devil and gimme shelter he's also a vocalist actually singing backing vocals on many rolling stone song as well as on occasional lead vocals such as um uh, on the rolling stones 1972 single happy as well as with his side project, The Expensive Winos. After learning that Johnny Depp based his performances Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean on him, Richards agreed to be one of uh, in the third of the films as Jack's father, Captain Teague. I mean, you're going to love it. He was born on this day in Dartford, England in uh, 1943. Uh, a couple things about him. Marco actually read his uh, autobiography. And um, one of the things that he said that I think is really neat, he said the thing, because, you know, he's notoriously known for having, you know, People say he's still alive. He's still alive. He did right. all these drugs. He's still alive. Because he's looked 75 for about 40 years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. One of the things that he always says is he um, he did a lot of drugs. Yes. But he never but never at one time. So right. he he would always have something beyond something, be doing something. But he always sort of said that he had like limits. He would, you know, 
Um, and whenever he got off and then went back on to using what happens a lot, apparently, I don't really know. It's not really my world, but, um, <laughs> if you are a user and then you go back in, so heroin, for example, um, you go back in where you left off and that's what kills a lot of people. Um, and, uh, because your body isn't ready for that, but that's what you used to do. So that's what you go back and do. And he would always start back in small. And work work it up. I mean, he's Protocol still around. And exercise. Yeah. Um. They, he also drinks. I mean, the truth is they're all sober now. And uh, the one vice they all have is espresso. And they hired Marco to be their personal espresso maker when they're in Toronto. That's amazing. Well, yeah. I also always suspect with a lot of these uh, super famous rockers and their drug, sex, and rock and roll lifestyle, that a lot of it is emphasized for record sales. And because, right. I mean, right. how are you putting out album after album and recording music and going on tour without missing dates if you're that strung out all the time? You know, like I wonder, how oh yeah amplified because it's just part of the image you know well you can all of us in our own ways whether it's work or drugs or whatever uh you know burn the candle at both ends for our 20s and 30s and then it does catch up with you i mean the truth is they're all sober now charlie watts the drummer um who my dad knows uh you know, he hasn't, he doesn't listen to the music. He can't stand the music. He has no time for rock and roll. He's jazz, jazz, jazz. That's what he's into. And, um, and he has been for years, but you know, it's, that's his job is playing rock. So that's what he does. Hmm. Well, moving on, Gladys Cooper began acting on the British stage in 1906, becoming one of the theater's brightest stars whose postcard pictures were circulated among those who prized her delicate beauty. Ooh, how naughty. She Mm. appeared in a number of early British silence before making her debut on Broadway in 1934 in The Shining Hour, which is when she was spotted by Hollywood talent scouts who signed her up for a film career that she remained in for the rest of her life. Her first Hollywood film, the best picture winning Rebecca which she's marvelous in. She herself was nominated for three Oscars for Now Voyager, The Song of Bernadette, and My Fair Lady as Henry Higgins's mother, uh, where she delivers one of my favorite lines of all time, which is, Henry, what a disagreeable surprise when she sees her son arrive. <laughs> she's great in so it. Great. Oh, I didn't realize this is who we're talking about. This is great. Uh, what are you doing here? You promised never to come to Ascot. It's so good. <laughs> Her last film was the 1967 Disney comedy The Happiest Millionaire, four years before her death in 1971 at the age of 82. She was born on this day in London in 1888. Wow. Yeah, a veteran. Well, Betty Grable, also a veteran, uh, began appearing in movies in the 30s, but became a huge star in the 40s when her appearances in bright, morale-boosting musicals made her the iconic image of the girl back home that the boys were fighting Hitler for, uh, exemplified in the famous poster of her taken from behind in which she's smiling over her shoulder. Uh, that poster was so famous that the studio designed one of her biggest hits around it, The Pinup Girl, which was the name of the film, in 1944, which ranked up there with her other big films, Tin Pan Alley, Down Argentine Way, and The Dolly Sisters. She was done with films by the late 50s, at which point she focused on performing on Broadway and in nightclubs and in Bill's dad's dreams, as he still wonders why his son won't rent a Betty Grable movie instead of all of these difficult foreign films he's always watching. (laughs) (laughs) True story. Oh, that's great. She was born on this day in St. Louis, Missouri in 19, uh, 1916. Sadly, she died very young in 1973 at the age of 56 of lung cancer. Yeah. 
uh, throughout most of my young life discovering movies, every time I'd watch just about any movie, my dad would say, why aren't you just renting something with Betty Grable? Like, why can't we all have a good time? That's basically, yeah. She was his, I th- you know, I, I could see my dad as a teenager in Greece in the 40s watching her and thinking that that's like the ideal perfection of American right. womanhood, you know? Right, uh, totally, yeah. totally. And you know yeah. which poster is the famous one, right? Like, no, I can't picture it. If you saw it, you'd know it. It's, it's her, it's from behind. She's wearing, is she wearing like a GI uniform or is she just wearing a cabaret? And uh, she's got her hair up and she's, looking back over her shoulder and the reason actually the photo was taken that way is because she was pregnant when it was taken and so it was oh, to hide wow. her belly but um it was on it was like the fo- the photo most often found in gi's locker uh lockers in during the war oh wow i'm yeah. trying to betty grable poster i'm looking up here all right while you do that sia kate isabel furler is an australian singer songwriter record producer and music video director who professionally just goes by sia she started her career with the band crisp in the mid 90s then after going solo in the late 90s released her debut album only see in australia but as it did not do well she went to england to sing with the duo zero seven her next few albums still failed to connect her to a mainstream audience and she focused more on writing songs for other artists, including Titanium for David Guetta, Diamonds for Rihanna, and Wild Ones for Florida. It was her sixth album, 1,000 Forms of Fear, in 2014 that provided her major breakthrough as a singer in her own right, providing the hit song Chandelier, while her album This Is Acting provided the song Cheap Thrills, which Bill Spotify says is the song he's listened to the most since he joined. No way! She wrote the songs for the Vox Lux soundtrack and is the writer-director of the upcoming film Music. She was born on this day in Adelaide, Australia in 1975. Okay, first off, how do you find that out from Spotify? They usually send you those end-of-year lists and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. I have that. I don't have my, like, all-time. But um, big Sia fans over here big sea of fans in this household we uh love i just love on spotify putting going into the this is sea playlist and having it on random i really really love her um i really love her i mean real talent for uh like titanium for example one of my favorites so one of the ways she writes just a little sia anecdote that i'm sure you probably already know she writes her songs she kind of riffs them as she as they go so they'll you know cuz she's such a talented song writer and that's as you said kind of how she was really uh getting paid and and what her life was so with titanium she went in and she she went in and and created the lyrics for it they riffed it in like an hour and that was the demo for the for the famous singer that was supposed to take it and do it. She had no idea that David Guetta decided he didn't like what the singer they hired to do it did with it and liked her demo for it. Um, that was her. She that was never intended for public consumption. And she had no idea. She was in her car and it came on the radio. And she was oh, like, amazing. what? No one had even told her that he her, had taken it. Was pretty cool. And of course, she's been in the news for unfortunate things recently. As of but, late. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, big, big fans. Mm. Elastic Heart is one of my all time favorite songs and anthems. Never going to give up. Um, yeah, I'm going to need uh, you to do a deep dive on her. The, the greatest. One of my all-time favorite songs. Okay, just one more, one more Sia thing. That was my like. I kind of pick a theme song, and that was my theme song for 2018. I want to oh. say, and um, I just feel very close to that song, and I listen to it a lot. And um, it's interesting because we do. I'm part of this group um, where we pick themes and songs and all this stuff, and we meet at the end of each year. And um, 
it used to be a huge group. Now there's four of us. But um, anyway, it's it's an inspiring thing that we do to start the new to end the year, close off the year and start the new year. Anyway, and we always kind of say, you know, you never know how the theme is going to uh, affect you. And so the greatest was my theme. And um, that video is a chilling video. It has nothing to do with the song. Um, and I saw it much after, but it's um, it's basically about the Pulse nightclub shooting. Oh. And uh, it's very chilling. And a year after that shooting, I went there uh, on the anniversary of uh, when it happened. I went there and, and um, you know, held some space for all the poor, poor souls that died there. And uh, I was given this pin. I was I was given a rainbow pin and I ended up uh, booking Handmaid's Tale. Uh, my character, I put that pin on for my audition and I ended up wearing it in the in Handmaid's Tale. Um Oh. Which most of it got cut out. But anyway, so it, it like it in a very random way uh influenced my decisions that year. That's all. I found the Betty Grable poster. I just sent it to you. She's wearing a bathing suit in it. Uh, oh, it's the one where she's like peeking over her shoulder? Oh yes. <laughs> like I said, yes. <laughs> no, well you said from behind. To me, that's someone having oh, sorry, sex. The with photo her. is taken from behind her. That's what I meant. You you kept saying from behind, and <laughs> I thought somebody literally was taking her from behind. That's that's Ooh, that's where no. my brain goes. Ooh, Amanda. Ooh. Ozzy Davis made his Broadway debut in Pearly Victorious in 1961 after having studied drama with the Rose McClendon Players in Harlem. And that came after he'd served in the United States Army during World War II as a medical technician. His notable film roles include the Otto Preminger film The Cardinal, the miniseries King, Joe vs. the Volcano, Grumpy Old Man, and the evening series. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the series. It was in the evenings, but the series Evening Shade. He appeared in the film Do the Right Thing with his wife, with his wife, sorry, Ruby D. The same year that the two of them were named the NAACP Image Awards Hall of Fame together in 1989. His last appearance was on the episodes of The L Word in 2005, the same year that he died at the age of 87. He was born on this day in Cogdell, Georgia, in 1917. Baron Vaughn graduated from the College of Fine Arts at Boston University. A classically trained actor who has become famous for his stand-up comedy after appearing on Lopez Tonight, Conan, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. His acting career took off quickly after, including his most famous role on his most famous roles, I should say, on Grace and Frankie and the 2017 revival of Mystery Science Theater 3000. He's had roles in Cloverfield and Black Dynamite and hosts the podcast Deep shit i assume with baron vaughn he was born on this day in portales portales new mexico in 1980 well marco made bill promise that we would celebrate the birthday of his very first childhood crush and today is that day here he is alan kaiser 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 but i'm not sure Okay. Graduated from the Central Missouri State University as a member of their theater program, breaking into show business in the film Night of the Creeps, and of course, as grandson Bubba on his 95 episodes of the sitcom Mama's Family. This was your first He just I was a child and he looked so cute in those tight t-shirts. <laughs> remember Bubba. He's appeared in a handful of films since, the latest one last year, but focuses most of his time running the Center Stage Academy for the Performing Arts in Warrensburg, Missouri with his wife. He was born on this day, so it was not to be for him and, and Bill, uh, but he was born on this day in Littleton, Colorado in 1963. He's a bit old for me anyway, Amanda. 
Uh, aren't we all a bit old for each other? Well, Bill, this was uh, this was very, very lovely to to do so many deep dives, and uh, in a way, I feel like we're twins on National Twin Day. <laughs> in some ways, we are. <laughs> I hope everyone has a wonderful December 18th. This was Born on This Day, and once again, I'm Amanda Barker, and I'm Bill Antonio. And uh, do check out all of our social media because we'd love to hear back from you. You can just find us on Born on This Day on any of the platforms that you want to check us out on. Until then, uh, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.